This is Kanzenshu, the podcast, episode 412, for the week of September 11th, 2016. What is up? Welcome to Kanzenshu, the podcast, an extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Kanzenshu. That's right. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening. A little bit, oh, the entertaining. It's Mary over there. Hey, hey, and it's Mike. It is. That's you. Do you know what? I know you know, but play dumb oh, for a okay, I'll play dumb. Do you know what this week is, Mary? I know it's uh, an anniversary. It is. God. This is, and I actually had no idea. You didn't know. I didn't know. Like, didn't realize it was coming no. up. No, because logically it makes it's sense. Always of been around, it you know. Yeah, yeah. This week is the twentieth anniversary of Dragon Ball Z in North America. Dot 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 from Funimation. You know, I want to put the little asterisk there because Dragon Ball Z had been here before and the Dragon Ball property had been here before. Fan subs were clearly here. There's a merchandise trickling out. But the product that people think about as Dragon Ball Z in North America 20 years ago this week. Now, here's something that really bugs me. A lot of online episode air date listings list the date as September 13th, 1996. September 13th, was a Friday. So unless there was some random syndication partner airing the episode a day early, the correct date should in fact be September 14th. And I corroborated this with posts on Altafanda Dragon Ball oh, and Rick.Arts that missed that anime. Now, the other difference would be that date wouldn't necessarily be the same for everybody because in my town, right, but we it had was, it Sunday. It was Saturdays and Sundays, exactly. Right. So I'm going with the first likely. Yeah. I mean, maybe there was someone who played it on a Friday because it was syndication. We're going to get to, I feel like every couple of years, we do have to do that very brief recap history of, wait, I thought that was... The Ocean Dub, the Pioneer Dub, the Saban Dub. It's all of those things in many ways, but it's the Funimation It's still dub. technically Funimation. It is indeed. Mary, the 20th anniversary, what is on deck this episode? You and I just, just, just watched The Arrival of Raditz. I'd say, and, and that means it's fresh in our head, but, but I might be getting ahead of myself and I kind of am going to summarize it. Right now, after watching it, I realized it never left my brain to begin with. Yep. I think in, that might be the theme. I think years. it's going to be the theme of this recording. Mm-hmm. So it's Mary there. It's Mike here. That is our episode this week. We are celebrating 20 years of Dragon Ball Z in North America from Funimation. Is that something to celebrate? Um, I don't know, because you know what? <laughs> when you put it that way, um, the anniversaries of our sites is not going to be too it's long after. too long off. I realized that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, Mary. Okay, you... yeah, now that I'm, yes, focused, focused, <laughs> focused. That's going to be the topic. And then uh, something I've been teasing for a while in last podcast episode, I did say within 24 hours of this episode, that new website section is going to launch. It did indeed. And it's glorious. Launch. It's wonderful. So good. You guys, you'll lose your day if you just sit and read it. Perhaps multiple days. Yeah. I will briefly talk with you, Mary, about the press archive at the end of the show. That's how we'll wrap things up. There's really not much in the way of news going on in Dragon ball right now i've been kind of happy with that <laughs> that uh my news segments have been very brief so here's your news uh viz put up chapter seven of the dragon ball super manga that's it that was your news that was your news recap for the week what do you think about that i, I love it we can still say there's news going on which is great even if it's a light week there's leaked episode titles and summaries for dragon ball super but i consider that less news and content to talk about in the future so we're gonna get into it right now 20 years dbz funimation holy cow radis just where were you maybe you weren't born yet (laughs) 
So like I kind of teased, I do want to give this brief history. So, all right, Mary, Harmony Gold, they tried, did some movie splicing, did some test episodes, didn't work. Let's forget about that for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Funimation became a company in 1994 by way of nepotism. I mean, an acquaintance at Toei Animation, a one Mr. Gen Fukunaga, acquired the license to Dragon Ball. Funimation began producing the original Dragon Ball TV series in 1995. They did this in conjunction with BLT Studios, which wasn't exactly Ocean Studios, but they used the same pool of voice actors, and Peter Baring did replacement music. They did 13 episodes. Those aired in syndication on TV as well. Mm-hmm. That's where you got into the series. I... So you're you're at year 21 here, actually. Yeah, uh, that's pretty funny. Yeah, I caught it maybe... Your fandom can drink. My fandom can drink now. Oh, I love it. I caught it maybe um, half through its airing cycle. Yeah. Like, I, th- I think my first episode was probably like Yamcha stuff. Yamcha and Chi Chi. Yeah, yeah. That episode. Okay. So it was at five. It's like six or halfway something. Halfway through. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so they did those 13 episodes. At some point, they also did the first movie, which they released as Curse of the Blood Rubies. It was almost like they released it as a pilot in addition to the TV series, even though they were doing the TV series. It suffered the fate of what you would expect a syndicated show would uh, kind of end up as with airing it. 5.30 in the morning in most markets. Oh, Sailor Moon did pretty okay for itself. It did. And ultimately, so did Dragon Ball. I right, mean, right. Dragon Ball Z. But. Right. So that was 1995. And it was at this point that Funimation decided, all right, there's probably still something here we need to skip ahead. So we have the first example of the lost episodes, although they never really called it that. Funimation jumped ahead in 1996 to Dragon Ball Z. This was done in conjunction with Ocean Studios proper. Those are the voice actors in Vancouver, Canada, and they outsourced music to Shuki Levy. Mary, you were familiar oh, with yes. Levy from the X-Men cartoon. Which I didn't realize until well after the episodes had been airing. I don't yeah. think I really put two and two together when looking at the credits. Yeah, yeah. Like, the words registered with me but mm-hmm. I think it was probably a few years after my being into it where I realized oh it's that Shuki Levy yeah a lot of folks maybe a couple of years younger than us may know the, that name from the Power Rangers show mm. the music coming from over there uh, something that Chris Kerberfer and I have talked about uh, a lot when we talked about the what is the identity of Dragon Ball music to folks younger than us that were getting into it the identity of the score was oh this sounds like Power Rangers music to me mm. but because I wasn't into X-Men and I wasn't into Power Rangers it sounded like nothing I'd ever heard before, but we'll talk about the music uh, in a little bit. It's funny that you say that now that you mention it and I'm thinking about it. I think I watched a little bit of Power Rangers and I think I did know that people who did the X-Men music did the mm-hmm. Power Rangers music, but I didn't equate that then to Dragon Ball Z. Gotcha. All right. This ran for two seasons, actual broadcast seasons, uh, around 26 episodes. First season was exactly 26 episodes. That was 96 to 97. Season two is 97 to 98. That went up to 53 edited, dubbed TV episodes, plus the three-part version, edited, dub only, of DBZ Movie 3, Tree of Might, which is heavily featured in the Rock the Dragon opening theme, as we were just watching again. Opening theme is great. It's like mostly Movie 3, a little bit of Movie 2, one or two shots of Movie 1, and then Napa through the airplane. Uh Uh-huh. And then some Chala at the end there, but... It's a weird so, choice of scenes. We're going we're gonna to misrepresent how good the animation exactly. is by showing you all this movie footage. So those were the original two seasons of the show. Now, can I ask, where is it that people get hung up when they think ocean dub, pioneer right. dub? Right, right. Well, I think what confuses people is Pioneer was given the sub-license to release the home videos. So they saw the Pioneer logo on stuff. Funimation logo is right there alongside stuff. So I think that was the first confusion. But then in 99, 
1999 when Funimation brought everything in-house and started up again with season three with the Ginyu stuff there. That's not only Funimation was making it, but all of the voice actors were totally green. They didn't work for some other studio, so they were Funimation voice actors. So I think people were and continue to this day, describe the show by the voice cast. Yeah. And because those were Funimation voices owned by Funimation. I mean, some of them work elsewhere now, though. Uh, I think that was just the easiest way for people to describe it. And I, I think, think that that's glossed fair. over the I think details. that's fair, except for the fact that sometimes I, I've heard people refer to like the Pioneer dub. Yeah, yeah. Which is probably the greatest uh, misconception, I think, of that early right. batch of history. Other than the uncut three movies, which seemed like Pioneer had a little more to do with than Funimation. Funimation was like along for the ride to do those but the reason why i i think it's important to say it was funimation in charge because the voices are just outsourced those are just people you have come in to do it um they weren't really creative on the show like folks like sabadar nowadays on the show where he's in charge of creative decisions in addition to being a voice actor and being a director at that time the creative control was essentially one person barry watson he was in charge of all the voice castings. He went up for all the direction. He was in charge of all the marketing decisions. Mm. Um, something I talked about uh, a few months ago here on the show, when I had Lance Heskell on the show, uh, there was no marketing department before he showed up. So all the creative decisions were marketing decisions. And Barry was doing all that stuff. Barry was still there all the way through GT. So all that stuff that was like, oh, this is why the show is the way it is, was still all the one same one person in the end, a Funimation person. So that being said, I mean, you know, we were just talking about the ocean dub versus Funimation dub and yeah, how yeah. similar or different is that definition. We've also heard the term like Saban mm-hmm. production right. thrown around. So what was Saban's involvement and why do fans get confused about that too? Like Saban versus Funimation and right, then right. placing a lot of the blame on Saban rather than mm-hmm. Funimation. Because I think back then, and you know, even I'm still getting confused about this yeah, to this yeah. day, I attribute a lot of those negative changes to, oh, it was Saban's fault. And but what that, was their role? Yeah, that is partially true. So they were the syndication partner. They were the ones with the power to wield, to go to the networks and say, we got this great show for you. How about you give us a good time slot? Funimation, who the hell knew who Funimation Productions were? Saban, though, they were in charge of all these other shows and they had known quantities, known successful shows. So when Funimation partnered with Saban, Saban could go to your local Fox affiliate, your local UPN, local WWWWB, mm-hmm. and get the show on the air at a better time slot and we saw the fruits of that labor in season two the second syndicated season of dragon ball z got a hour hour long time i had the best sunday mornings like i look back at that time in my life so fondly yeah yeah. i I was in high school normally i love to sleep in on a sunday but it's dragon ball and it's hot for an hour and man this sunday is gonna start off awesome for me the the best part about that was that sunday when it switched to season two i think it switched from saturday to sunday for me and then didn't come on until like 10 so we got an awesome time slot where you know the kids are awake all the earlier sunday morning cartoons are over and so then it's full hour of dragon ball so yeah saban was the one who could wield that power and get you a better time slot and they got them an hour-long time slot and i, I really want to harp on this pokemon was not on TV yet. Dragon, Barely. Not yet. It wasn't on. It was 98. The, season 2 was 97. Mm. Pokemon didn't exist on American television yet. Dragon Ball and anime got an hour-long time slot in American television. Local network television. Not Sci-Fi Channel airing the amazing Saturday morning anime. Let's not beat around the bush. That was awesome, too. Yeah. <laughs> but Dragon Ball on network television. 
hour-long time slot. That was amazing. So you still haven't quite answered my question. Right. So Saban was also the one that would say, well, if we're going to get you on these networks, you need to make this palatable for the networks. So we're going to need you to paint over some of that blood. We're going to need you to put a diaper on that kid, put a diaper on that kid, put some water splashing over his dinky there. Uh, You know that line where he said, I smell death in the air. Yeah. Could you cut that out? That line where she said, all this, I'm going to worry myself to death. Can you change that too? Um, All this worrying is going to give me wrinkles. That was Saban in the end making those editorial calls for we want this to get on TV. They're asking for more clean material. And so Funimation's like, well, who the hell are we? I guess we got to listen to you. We got to work with you on this. Thank you for the clarification, Mr. History Buff. Now, at the same time, everyone was blaming each other for why things were going on. And certainly fans were blaming. They didn't. I mean, we didn't know. We were just blaming anyone who's the man. Funimation is blaming Saban. Saban is blaming the local network, standards and practices. There were some things that certainly didn't have to be the way they were, but I think they were being overly conservative at the time. Mm-hmm. I think all parties were, and no one wanted to take full responsibility for it because why take the blame when you can pass the buck? So mm-hmm. it's kind of how that went. And going back a little bit, how I mentioned how uh, Barry Watson was in charge of everything. Uh, for those of you who didn't get into it until the tsunami era, take a look at some of the credits there. Some of the script writing, script adapting credits. There's one name in particular you may not know, but we certainly know. And that's a one Mr. Terry Clayson. Mm. He was still working on adapting scripts well after the Ocean Studios cast was not being used. So it's like, oh, that's the Ocean cast, but an Ocean guy is writing the scripts over here. So that's why I think it's not really appropriate to use terms like Ocean dub, Saban dub, Pioneer dub. I get what people are trying to do. Well, it makes it easier. It it makes it so much easier. Uh, And I appreciate that. But I think that then tells the wrong story to people who then don't know that it was Funimation the whole time. Even most recently, I was answering a question on Reddit. People were like, oh yeah, DBZ began on Toonami. What? Right. <laughs> like, there is this period of three-ish years that people don't know happened. And we're celebrating those 20 years now. And I think it's important to, even if you go back to the Rock the Dragon box set that we were just watching, Funimation does not make it clear anywhere written in that box that that's their show. They continue to refer to it as the ocean dub. Really? Yeah. So it's like, I get they're doing the exact same thing. They're trying to say, well, this is the one that was there, but like, there's no ownership of it there. Like even they're trying to distance themselves while at the same time trying to sell it to you. Like that's the weirdest thing about that to me is like, we don't want to acknowledge that we made this. Truth be told, no one at the company there anymore was responsible for that product. Like it's passed down through so many hands over the years. Barry Watson's not there anymore. Like Gen Fukunaga is pretty much the only one who's been there the whole time. So I just wanted to really talk about the ownership of that show, who produced it, who those parties were. It has been Funimation since 1995, through and through. Mary? Brilliant. Raditz just showed up. Yes, it's still as glorious now as it is then. Complete with that, that drawn out guitar. Goodness, you've managed to sing some of my leg hairs. Let's talk about it. We watched the Rock the Dragon edition, which is different from the Arrival home release that came out after a broadcast. Which is uh, funny because you, when you told me we were doing this, you're like, gonna we're going to watch Arrival. Arrival. I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. Right. You think we were going to watch what was released there on VHS and later DVD. They edited the first four episodes of the dub, so pretty much the entire Raddit stuff, into a feature length version. What that really means is they just put one opening and ending surrounding the whole thing. So mm-hmm. they didn't 
have uh, next episode previews in between, didn't have closing themes, opening themes in between. Uh, so we watched the actual original broadcast one. And the Rock the Dragon edition is notable for them, including some of those first-time broadcast lines that we alluded to just a couple minutes ago that were changed in subsequent rebroadcasts of the exact same material. We did a podcast episode about this years ago, I think long before I had decent microphone equipment, which makes me sad because there's good content there, but it might be hard to listen to. In the first two episodes in particular, there were some lines that were either re-recorded or just blanked out. The most important one, I think, is when Master Roshi says, I smell death in the air. This isn't good. I smell death in the air. This isn't good. That line was cut out of uh, subsequent rebroadcasts. And in hindsight, I'm super, super lucky that I was virtually in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Because I knew, because I had been into Dragon Ball and I was reading in America, I was well aware of when DBZ was starting in syndication. So, yeah, yeah, you I were mean, ready for uh, it. For shows that I was obsessed with, you know, I taped every episode on VHS as yeah, it was yeah. airing. Uh, so I obviously went for DBZ, Sailor Moon, X-Men, whatever I was into back then. And I got to tape on the air, you know, that first broadcast run. So I have... The, yeah. for lack of a better expression, a hardcore version of the dub where <laughs> right. they say death left and right. That's what I sourced for that podcast episode. But the Rock the Dragon edition goes back to that. So now we have crystal clear versions of all those lines. I want to talk about the content of this episode. I kind of want to review the episode as an episode by itself, as an introduction to Dragon Ball Z, and as Kai before Kai ever existed. Let's start with as an introduction to Dragon Ball Z. So that is something that I found the most revealing about rewatching this yeah i kept going back to oh my gosh as an intro to setting up dbz this is amazing yeah and especially i i wish i could just put my mind in the context of someone who had been watching it straight through from dragon ball and then to mm-hmm. dragon ball z and then that utter shock of like right wtf huh but you know what's fascinating about it having seen it Airing on TV, not knowing who Piccolo is, mm-hmm. not knowing who Krillin really is at right. that point, not knowing what Bulma and the rest of the gang had been up to yeah. in the remainder part of Dragon Ball. Even despite not having that context, his arrival and then his news and mm-hmm. Gohan being kidnapped, it's still impactful, even despite it is. not having that attachment, which is really, I think, a sign of good storytelling. There's a couple parts to that because then you start getting into the territory of, well, what you're saying is I don't need to watch Dragon Ball. I think those are two different points to make. Oh, I would say the opposite. Yeah. I would think like, oh crap, who are these people? I want to know what their deal is. That makes you want to go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, I can see your point because it's it's kind of cool. Like, oh, I could just hit the ground running. Yeah. I don't have to watch it you don't if I don't need to. to. That's a whole nother question of do you have to? And I think you're completely insane if you think you don't need to watch first 153 episodes. You do. I stand by you do not know who the character Goku is unless you've seen that part. But anyway, I want to get to as an introduction to the show. So you learn who Goku is. And if you knew him from last year, you like, oh, my God, he's, he's like competent. He's up. Well, that <laughs> wow. remains to be seen. No, <laughs> he's adult. He's grown up, married. Oh, my. I, I remember who that Chi-Chi chick is sort of kind of. And oh, he's got a son. All right. And there's his master. I have no idea who this green guy is, but he seems really strong. This other strong guy just showed up and he's spiky haired, too. I mean, we've seen some other spiky haired dudes, but he's pretty spiky and all right i guess that's his friend and holy cow we're going Mm -hmm. we're rolling so let's jump now to this episode as an edit of 
Dragon Ball Z episodes one and two-ish. Ha! Huh. Again, I'm probably sentimental about this. Yeah. I kind of agree with the amount of cutting they did. If they really wanted to make an impression on Americans and hit the ground running, yeah. I think they just show enough of Gohan in distress yeah. to be like, oh, how cute, rather than like, oh, God, shut this brat up. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you drown in that river. Keep going. Keep going. I think episode one of Dragon Ball Z is perfect if you just came off of 153 of Dragon Ball. But if you're jumping into DBZ by itself, I think you do need to do what they just did here. They had a little bit of dialogue that writes around it, but the editing they used to get Goku to where Gohan was, you have no clue. That he was just wandering around a forest, just found a birdie friend, just went through some river in a mountain and ended up there. You don't need to know that Gohan may have just like teleported himself up to a higher branch because the exit is actually below. You don't see any of that. You don't need to know any of that. And right after Gohan runs over to Goku, that's when Goku looks down and sees where the exit from the cliff in the waterway was. And they're kind of like thinking about it. The way they edit it, though, and then they just go do 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 and they're over to the island. is absolutely perfect editing mm-hmm. that entire segment yeah you'd have no idea it's it's perfect editing in the sense that you had no idea that there was another subplot going on right yeah because they got enough of their own going on like yeah. we have three stories going on so you cut story c which is actually story a in the original <laughs> version of the show but they do a great job there as we were just watching it here i'm like you know what this is moving a little too fast but the episode also felt longer than 22 ish minutes to me so i don't even know how to describe that i think it's because once they get to the island and raditz does show up that's untouched as far as i can tell it yeah, just like just rolls with it yeah so because it goes from being a mm, plot okay. b plot to okay now we're focused on what's actually happening and there's it, less yeah. going back and forth and we're going to focus on right. the matter at hand i think um it comes to a screeching halt but like in a true, good true. way because now it's a drama yeah Okay. There's totally characters talking constantly. All oh, the time. yeah. I was going to comment on that. The instant you zoom up to where their mouth is, they stop talking. That's when they stop talking yeah. because they haven't been talking that entire time. Like, it was so noticeable. You know what's it funny? And I- I'm taking this personally. I was watching this and I'm like, oh, it's so stupid how they have the characters talking off camera when they need to. Don't they know that we could take silence and we can take just the drama of nothing being said and then I was equating that to how I teach my group fitness classes like I teach group fitnesses <laughs> classes on the side and Mike sometimes tells me I talk too much during classes yeah. so I'm going to be like oh my god do I really want to sound like a dub voice actor <laughs> so that'll be my cue to stay shut up I think going forward That's I'll just really let funny. long periods of silence go just think about Terry going blah 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 the whole time admittedly I love the delivery of I think you've been dipping into the eggnog Allow me to show you off the island. Grillin', watch out! That was pretty good. I think he was a little too high-pitched. But uh, he calms it down. He does. Like, almost immediately after this episode, he falls into what his normal Krillin' voice would be. This first episode, everyone's getting into it a little bit. Uh, Bulma has one example of Gohan yeah. uh, that she says. But, uh, I mean, everyone's probably recording out of order. And, oh, my God, wait, this is the pronunciation. And then there's just Scott McNeil, who doesn't need practice. No. <laughs> <laughs> He's perfect the whole time. Uh, are there any other voice actors you want to call out? Ian Corlett. Oh, Let's talk about him a little Corlett bit. Ian Corlett is I a mean, god. <laughs> you know him from Tofu. 
a Dr. Tofu, yes. And Jason Gray Stanford as yeah. Raditz, who I always wanted him to play Trunks if the Ocean Group had ever stayed with DBZ, you know, dubbing it never happened. But Ian yeah. Corlett just like nails it. What that, do you think it is about Corlett's performance that is Goku to you? Innocent sounding and not gruff. Yeah. But still a little authoritative when he needs to be. Like he gets Oh, man. Like, he's got that kind of little bit to him. Yeah. I'm trembling. Like, you can feel some emotion in his voice. Uh-huh. And, and I like it. What is it? Huh? What, Goku? Man, something is heading straight for us. What? Are you sure, Goku? I'm positive. I never felt a power like this before. I feel it now, too. There's nothing there, you guys. Huh? What is it? I've never felt anything this powerful. And it's a horrible power, too. I'm trembling. Impossible. There. There. Oh, I see it, Goku. Uh, We don't get much of Saffron Henderson as Gohan whining in this episode. Talked about Terry there. Uh, You mentioned Scott McNeil. He's kind of like perfect from the start. Other than the rewritten dialogue of... Listen to me, you came here, I have no interest in starting a fight. He's like, opposite of Piccolo. Literally the opposite of the dialogue there. He says, do you want to die? I don't know, it's just script writing stuff. Um, there's not many other folks I like to call the Bulma. out. Yeah. I, I do like her, I don't remember her name. I can never pronounce this woman's name. Lalena Lindberg? I don't know. Yeah, Gerald, sorry. Let's talk about the music then. Mm. Uh, Shuki's out in full effect here with uh, that guitar thing. I think that was the one scene that Funimation delivered to Falconer Productions and said, do this from that I point wonder, because you know what? Now that you say that, doesn't it almost seem hypocritical that we're like, okay with this music and yet Falconer makes us like bleed out of our ears? I think because there's only, I mean, we just watched the one episode, but I know the score from these 53 episodes. Like, you can also say it was scored from start to finish. Yeah, uh-huh. That's the thing. Yeah, it was scored to the show. There's only a couple instances of that droning, hollow-sounding guitar. This is something that I have talked about in the past. The score for this dub has this richness to it. It's a full sound. The Falconer production score, to me, always sounds like it's hollow, missing some kind of frequency. I feel like I hear the entire range of instruments here in this original version of the dub, and that's what I like about it so much, is that it is rich-sounding, it's full sound. It's not a Kikuchi score, it's not ever going to top that for me, but... There are some things about it. I'm like, oh, they, they kind of nailed that. And like you were saying, it's because they scored to the episodes. Mm-hmm. That's I, really I had important. the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Which I listened to for fun. And then picture the scenes in my head, which was great. You know, I guess my only beef with it, and I agree with everything you're saying, is that it just sounds like blatantly American. I yeah, guess, like absolutely. trying to hide, hide the Japanese-ness of it. Mm-hmm. But what do you do? Totally. What I love about this score is that uh, long before any other dub score would do it with Dragon Ball, the light motifs of the Rock the Dragon being incorporated into the Sailor score. Moon did it. No, I'm talking about just Dragon Ball. Oh, not okay, Sailor Moon. Okay. Yeah, of course Sailor Moon did it because, let's be honest, that dub score was eons ahead of what Dragon Ball had for years. But if you are watching this dub, eventually in some action scenes or flying, you'll hear... Dun, dun. It's weaved into yeah, the score. I love that. And it might just be a little sprinkle of it, but that really helps solidify and give an identity to that show. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really important. Let's talk about Rock the Dragon as an intro song. I'm going to out myself <laughs> here. I remember thinking before I had seen the Japanese version, 
I was young. Come on, guys. I was really young. I remember thinking, oh, man, this song is so good. I don't know how it can be any better in Japanese. Yeah, I think we were all there, you know? Like, this is so cool. This is the most badass thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'd show my little cousins who were all boys. I'm like, you gotta watch this cartoon. It's so badass. Look at this awesome intro. So I want to read a quote here. This is actually up on the press archive of the site that just launched from the November 1996 issue of An America. So Dragon Ball Z had only just been on TV for a little bit. And when you consider lead time and publication dates of magazines, it really just gotten started. Question, will the Japanese theme song be included at all in the U.S. broadcast of Dragon Ball Z? If not, how did you decide what type of music will be used? And the answer here comes from uh, Cindy Fukunaga. No, we composed a new theme. It was done in Los Angeles. It's a very distinctive sound, and I'm told it's of the sort that's very popular among American children right now. (laughs) Hook, line, and sinker right there. Let's make some... I'm told that the kids like it. And we're going to hear that for years to come with Funimation and some of their music and other creative decisions. We hear this is popular. We hear Disturbed is popular with the kids. Throw it in. (laughs) So, yeah, um, I don't necessarily share that sentiment anymore about Rock the Dragon, but uh, I am not immune to nostalgia, and when Rock the Dragon comes on, I'm immediately 20 years younger. And I feel like I'm just sitting there in anticipation, like, what's the next episode gonna be? I think that's what that song means to me, is I don't know. Yeah, Yeah. I have no idea what's coming. I'm so excited for what I'm about to see, because I don't know, Mm -hmm. because at least in 96, I don't have a computer yet. (laughs) I have no way of knowing unless I go over to my friend's house and we try logging into a BBS and we print out tiny little screenshot of a scan eh? or something. I don't know what we had back then. Yeah, yeah, that's what uh, that song means to me. Let's talk about this dub as Kai before Kai. So we had Mm. about 67, 68 episodes that were ultimately reduced down to 53 over the span of those seasons. In terms of season one, we lost about 10 episodes worth of content from 36-ish, 35, 36 down to 26. Some of that was easy where we just cut out like an episode wholesale. That saves us an entire episode. Gohan and the Robot. Right. Go, which, man, I love that. Nozawa loves that episode too. Although then we did have things like the orphans. <laughs> I don't know what made them decide what they were going to keep, what they were going to get rid of. But uh, so the first five episodes of DBZ reduced down to three here. Later in Kai, that would be four episodes. So you can see the difference in the editing and the cutting and the rearranging going on here. Over the course of that first season, Mary, it all feels like a cohesive whole, though, doesn't it? For the most part, yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And then uh, season two, I mean, there's just so much more going on with the story. Uh, I think it's easier to cut little bits out here and there and save up on that time, especially when you get that movie three in there. But yeah, I think that's what impressed me about, in particular, the first season of the dub there. 96 97 was that they cut out so much material but it still felt right for the most part i didn't feel like i was missing anything uh other than lunch drunk in the bar because tension Han was dead like that was good material they could cut because you got to ignore a character that you were cutting out anyway you got to cut out alcohol consumption being used like they they chose the right things to cut out i think at times are there any instances of things that you really wish they had kept in instead the, the robot episode i absolutely adore that episode episode. I think that's more good Gohan character development than the orphan stuff. Uh, I think you need the orphan stuff to have that scene at the end though where Gohan comes home and is looking at his house 
and then decides to go back off but and they, still train. Uh, but you could edit around that still in so many other ways. Like maybe have him come back from the robot after that, mm-hmm. something like that. I don't know. Wasn't there a weird instance, maybe I'm just imagining this, where they kept the end of one of the cut episodes and tacked it on something else? There was a lot of that going on. There were scenes that were moved into different episodes. I want to say Piccolo in the pyramids training, like when he's off training mm-hmm. by himself because Gohan's still learning how to survive. Maybe that's in season... No, because he's dead in season two. So it's got to be this first season here. I remember that was moved like earlier or later two episodes just to help pad out you know the 22 minutes you need for an episode i guess it was probably let me grab that fit that over oh great we got an episode here now but yeah all in all i i feel like that first season is is really solid and that was my introduction to dragon ball z i had this cursory awareness that it existed from video game magazines but that was not my introduction to the show that didn't get me into it it was funimation's english dub in 1996 i think this product here i am 20 years later one of the four guys that runs konzenshu this dub clearly did its job yeah and you're still here too i am oh my god oh thank god okay i'm so happy now here's an interesting question to blow your mind let's say this product came out now and you're you're at the age you are and you're an anime fan and you've never been exposed to dbz before mm-hmm. and you hear about the amount of changes being made the score is being changed yeah this would never fly would it would you like be flipping the shit out and demanding that it be released in its pure form i think that's the irony slash hypocrisy of today's modern dragon ball fan is that they want it uncut but i need it to be my reversioning of the show at the same time like i still want my change character names my change attack names and i want my replacement music and i think that's crazy isn't it mm-hmm. i'm also meaning that directed at us you know here yeah. we are saying how great this <laughs> product of 20 years ago is yeah, and I, we were, were relatively okay with the music changes and I would, the cuts and what's been eliminated and the censoring and we're like huh the wait a minute is this really us saying this the difference now is that i would immediately go into information research mode if I had any interest at all and I would just bypass it completely and go to the Japanese version uh, if I had an interest like oh this story sounds cool those character designs sound cool just forget about this let me go over here in 96 we did not have that option all we had was oh god I guess it's on TV we had the beginnings of fan sites and internet access at least for us so we were starting to learn about that and so I had these conflicting opinions back then I was of, gonna ask did yeah, you ever yeah. get to a point where you were really digging in at first and then the more you learned did you ever get pissed off oh absolutely i mean i know you were an angry young vegeta we <laughs> back in the day but that was due to like other reasons yeah, yeah. um later on i think not related necessarily to the no, first it's just fandom yeah. and not being a responsible well i mean more like when, when funimation like truly picked over the dub it seemed to be when you got angrier yeah because i mean like it was a terrible product but reflecting <laughs> on like just this initial product mm-hmm. And you loved it. Did you ever then eventually kind of change your mind on it? Like, well, maybe this wasn't as good as I thought it was, or maybe it's cool to hate on it. And I'm sure there know. was some of that. It's tough to remember because it was 20 years ago, but there was definitely that, well, I'm going to just stick with it because this is how I'm going to learn what happens in the story. Yeah, yeah. So I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. Eventually, you know, get an online computer and learn about fan subs. So I was doing concurrently. I was going to say, that's here, what happened to me too. Japanese like, over here. Yeah. I never got angry at the English version i think i was more upset about 
changes being made in other shows. Which is kind of interesting. <laughs> you more um, but yeah, I found pretty soon after syndication was fan subs. And yeah. then I also had exposure to the international channel where I can watch it raw. So I literally had three streams of Dragon Ball Z in my life. And yeah. I had no reason to complain. Right, right. I got an English dub. Just enjoy it for what it is. I got the raw Japanese version on the international channel. And I got fan subs to watch my movies. Mm-hmm. I get to watch Boo stuff, Cell stuff. You know what was, GT, getting, crazy. What was getting me angry at the time was we were getting quotes from Barry Watson and Ken Fukunaga of, oh, we are absolutely going to start releasing uncut videos. And ahead of season three, we were directly told it was going to have the original score. And it didn't end up having that. Hmm. So I think we had so many false promises being made. That was getting me in the, what the fuck is going on? I clearly can't trust you. All in. All hmm. in Japanese. That w- I think that was the turning point of the, I'm not even going to bother with this product anymore because it doesn't have anything to offer me. So what made you change from being okay with it and relatively neutral to, nope, I'm out, I'm done? Well, in 2000, we got the hybrid uncut DVDs. Yeah, and that was like the major turning point of, OK, well, you finally make good on here is the show. I want to know what happened, though, between 96 and let's say 98. I don't really know. Mm. That, that was so long ago because that was I was still so new to it. And it was I just got to learn everything. I think the the yearn for information outweighed the opinions about what I was watching. And then I think fan sites happened. Yeah. Yeah. And you learn a lot more. Yeah. yeah. A lot you learn of too much. <laughs> you start learning and you start downloading like the music and yeah. you start seeing screenshots and reading episode guides. So we talked about the show, our opinions on it as a product then and now it as an edited version of the show as an introduction. Is this version worthwhile to check out now? You think? I think as a relic of its time app. So friggin lootly. Yeah. It's fandom history should be watched. I think it's important to remember, like I was saying earlier, people don't think Funimation, the company that exists now, made this. And they did, with the exception of most of the people that worked there 20 years ago. And the ago. voice don't, cast. Yeah, and the voice cast don't work there anymore now. But yeah, this, this to me, when people use the phrase, the dub, this is still what I think of. Me too, to be honest, because that's when I was most mentally invested mm-hmm. and cared. I mean, yeah, I casually watched it when I was... When it was on Toonami, but at that point, we had different ways of watching the show and had already seen a lot of the stuff. Um, I didn't need convincing at that point. Right. At this point, I was still in absorption mode. I think this is a good transition. Let's talk a little bit about the press archive that just launched on Konzenshu. The way I'm describing this is think of it as the sibling to the translation section, where the translation section is from original Japanese sources, magazines, interviews, articles, that kind of stuff. This is the, for now, English language equivalent of that. There are plans to do multiple other languages. I have a German magazine over there. Transcription Mm. from that is going to be going up there at some point. But um, things like in America from Viz in those mid-90s, even Viz's Shonen Jump magazine, but also video game magazines, Electronic Gaming Monthly, Game Pro, Game Fan, a little bit of Nintendo Power. I think it's important to document the history of, in particular, Toriyama's interviews that are original to these English publications. That's kind of like what got me started there was people are asking, oh, what what interview does this come from? You don't have it. And I'm like, well, we can't translate it because it's English original. Can I just transcribe it? I think this stuff is old enough now that 
I'm comfortable including it there. But also in particular, those early in America articles pre Funimation and then as Funimation is getting started with it. Mary, tell me is you were a far bigger in America reader than I was. I have a couple key issues. I think you and I overlap on the Dragon Ball issues, mm. but reading in America at the time, like you were using that as your, oh, Dragon Ball is coming. Dragon Ball Z is coming. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I don't know what other method beyond just um, commercials maybe for DBZ airing in syndication. I don't know that I would have found out about the air dates any other way. Yeah, yeah. What do you remember? uh, Because I know you haven't read through everything in the Press Archive just yet. Mm -hmm. What do you remember about In America and their articles and their treatment of Dragon Ball back then? I really wish I remembered more. Yeah. I really do. I have to. I'm gonna have to look through the press archive. I mean, you could also read the actual I know. magazines. They're, they're all on sitting right there, but they're not in the order that I'd want. It, it's you have them from the stuff that I really want to read is all the way at the bottom of that I pile. I know. Sorry. And, and then the recent garbage is near the top. Um, <laughs> I always thought it was cool how they seemed to know a lot about the original version, and this was at mm-hmm. the time you know before me knowing any better. It was like I get the impression they know what they're talking about, so yep. I trust them. Mm-hmm. I loved that they talked about popular shows every issue. <laughs> Like, I, I watched that show. Yay. Yeah, you're yeah. talking about it. Yay. Awesome. Yeah. I want to read a couple things real briefly here. Um, some of these are what I noted in the update on the site. My theory, if I want to call it that, is I think professional and especially fandom discourse about Dragon Ball was completely sidelined by the dub coming out. And I'm, I would never blame Chris for this. Chris Saros, uh, DBZ Uncensored, as we all learned about the changes of it. Our discussion about Dragon Ball for years wasn't about the show anymore. It was about the changes being made to the show. So something I want to read from that same November 1996 uh, in America, this huge blowout they did on Dragon Ball Z. In the introductory article to um, that blowout, author James Teal here, and this is a little out of context. It's not actually a Superman versus Goku editorial in the magazine, but I think this is important that this was written in 1996. Superman is and always has been a symbol for truth, justice, and upstanding moral fortitude, a role model and leader as much as a fighter. The more down-to-earth Goku has no illusions about being responsible for maintaining social order or for setting some kind of moral example for the entire world. Goku is simply a martial artist who's devoted his life toward perfecting his fighting skills and other abilities. Though never shy about risking his life to save either one person or the entire world, he just doesn't believe that the balance of the world rests in any way on his shoulders, and he has no need to shape any part of it in his image. Goku is an idealist and believes that there is some good in everyone, but he is unconcerned with the big picture of the world, unless it has to do with some kind of fight. Politics, society, law and order don't have much bearing on his life, but he's a man who knows right from wrong. In 1996, James Teal was surmising Goku in a way that I don't think we got back around to for another 15 years. Hmm, that's fascinating and spot on. Yeah. There's great stuff in there. And like you were talking about with, oh my God, they knew what they were doing. There is an awesome, 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 awesome spotlight on Toriyama in the March 98 issue. So they were kind of getting ready to wrap up season two there. There's another interview with Barry from Funimation there. But this spotlight on Toriyama used all of the Daisenshu interviews as their basis to tell this story of who Toriyama was. That stuff would not be translated until Jake and Julian. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Holy shit. So uh, there was an amazing wealth of just the best resource you can imagine in some of these issues. And that got lost, I think. And and you know what also impressed me is like they had line art. 
Yeah, they did. Like sometimes they do um right. like brief descriptions of characters and, and this was like the same for any show that they mm-hmm. were featuring. They did all the name puns back then mm-hmm. and they were pretty much spot on with everything. You know what else I liked about it was well, I don't know if I liked it, but it is I thought it was a fun observation. As the dub for Dragon Ball, and again, the dub is the 96-98 dub. We're not into 99 in-house stuff yet. As the dub continued, you could see them starting to adopt some of the dub names for characters. Like, as we got to 1998, they would say things like TN, whereas two years earlier, they would never do that because they knew the characters Tenshin Han, and they were writing all of the names in Japanese. Even in those 96 articles, they were referring to Kamisama as God. Oh, I and didn't know that. And that stuff changed as the dub continued and to appeal to the audience that was knowing... Also make it consistent. Yeah. I mean, you kind of don't have a choice. Well, the consistency basically doesn't exist, and the consistency got worse in the, the Shonen Jump uh, articles there, where Shonen Jump was printing the manga with their spellings that rebuilt against Funimation's spellings, yet they were promoting Funimation's home video releases in the issue. Awkward. So you have like three different names for characters in the same issue of Shonen Jump at times. And I thought that was hysterical because you're trying to appeal to all companies there. The Press Archive right now, I have about 80 articles in there spanning from In America to Shonen Jump to some of the game magazines I talked about. This was pre-internet. Some of this stuff here, this was my Dragon Ball Bible in many ways. Like the EGM articles, that six-page blowout on Super Butoden N3 in 94. I knew it existed in my magazine in 94. I didn't care about it until I got into Dragon Ball mm-hmm. years later. And I'm like, wait, I know this from EGM. Holy shit, this is so much later than anything I know about. Hmm. And for years, I thought 18 had a son and not a daughter because <laughs> EGM was wrong. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is Anne America gets it right, EGM gets it wrong. For the most part, that is true. So by all means, please go lose a day or two in the press archive. I'm so happy to have that stuff up there. I'm looking forward to continuing to add to it. I'm going to have to read through all my old issues now. They're beat up, though. I mean, you could tell because, like you said, most of those are mine. Yeah. I read the read hell out of those you things. Sure did. And yet I can't remember that much. I'm sure if I were to look at a page, I'd be like, oh, my God. Comes back to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mary. Mike. It's been a great 20 years. Here's to another great 20 years. Are we celebrating us or the show? I don't what's know going what's on going here? on here. Yeah. It's our, we have an anniversary coming up, too. That's true. Not 20. Uh, no. What, are we a bus or something? <laughs> Anything you want to talk about? You got nothing going on? Um, no, I'm good. How's that Temple and Trunks treating you? It's it's living the, the modern 2016 dream in the form of social media because that's all I have time for. No, and even not. then, I don't no, have time. Like, up. work's just... Been, no, I, I didn't want to give it up, but work's been a nightmare and I have no time. All right. So it's hanging out there until... What? You got to know that you're here. What are you doing? I know. Well, you know what? We weren't around last weekend. Otherwise, I would have been live tweeting that awesome friggin' uh, fight. Yeah. Oh, so good. We'll see. We'll see. Tonight we'll be around. Temple of Trunks may or may not be active. Oh, I'm not putting this episode out today, so I know. it doesn't really help people. But I'm on Twitter at uh, Temple of Trunks, if you want to find me there. Temple O. Temple Trunks. O. Trunks. Talanks. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks right. for asking me to go on this road trip. They made me realize my age yet again. <laughs> again, our fandom is as old as 
if not older than many fans. Uh, so that was Mary over there. My name is Mike. Sometimes I go by Vegito EX. You can just call me Mike. Uh, I have a Julian, I have a Heath, and I have a Jake here at Konzenshu. Do you let them out? No, actually. <laughs> so the problem is I did let them out and I can't get them back in. <laughs> so. You gotta rein that Jake in, I, I tell you. You gotta rein him in. I've been alone. I don't know what's going on. Are you guys still out there? Anyone? No. no this isn't me being passive aggressive at all. Uh, www.kanzen n-s-h-u-u.com don't laugh at me (laughs) (laughs) this is why oh now the truth comes out about why you had me on the show you just can't get your boys because i'm lonely (laughs) i'm so lonely that's because you know i've been watching dbz longer than you oh snap also it's it's way easier to edit one podcast track than also it's way easier to get a co-host who lives with you that's true simply walk down a flight of steps to record this thing time zones sounds better Making a good case here. Yeah. All right, everyone, come move into my basement. With your families. <laughs> yep. You don't get to leave. I'll give you a cot. You'll be fine. There's lots of books to read down here. There's hope, cats. Hope you know Japanese. Uh, that's it, Mary. We will see you next time here on the show. This was 412. We'll have a 413 in the near future. Oh, will we? Uh, if you haven't already, I know that you will want to check the podcast feed in a day or two after this episode comes out. You got bonus material coming your way. I wanted to be timely for this and uh, not miss it, but then recorded something else and it's going to be out this week. So I'm just throwing it in the feed. So Ooh, look at you make making sure, up for lost content time. Mm-hmm, make sure you pay attention, stay tuned, and it'll be there and automatically downloaded to your favorite device if you are subscribed to the show. So with that said, Mary, thank you again. You're welcome. Peace out. See you next time. Continue to rock that dragon. Yeah.